Oh, Father, we thank you for uh, giving us your word and your word of grace, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would teach and instruct us in your word, that we might take hold uh, and rest upon this grace, that we might make use of all the means that you have given to equip us and to nourish us, to strengthen us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we come to chapter 27 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, and that is on the sacraments of the sacraments, and that is on page 864, if you're looking in the hymnal, back of the hymnal. There's a chapter here on the sacraments, then we're going to look at a chapter on baptism, and then we're going to look at a chapter on the Lord's Supper. So there's kind of three chapters uh, total on the sacraments, but this chapter is going to look at the sacraments in general, both baptism and the Lord's Supper, and that kind of gives away part of what it says, is that there are two sacraments in the New Covenant, and those are the two. Uh, But first we're going to look at this chapter, which is about the sacraments. Um, God has given us his word, which we uh, receive, we hear, we read, uh, we take hold of by faith. He has also given us uh, visible signs and seals uh, that uh, signify and seal that same uh, gospel uh, to us and uh, are intended for our good and to strengthen our faith and to... um, to strengthen us in our walk with Christ. And so it's good that we give attention to the, the uh, ordinances and the, the means that God has given uh, us, such as the sacraments. I'll go ahead and begin with Article 1. Sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace, immediately instituted by God, to represent Christ and his benefits, and to confirm our interest in him, as also to put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world, and solemnly to engage them to the service of God and Christ according to his word. So here it begins by uh, speaking of the sacraments as holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace. Uh, They make the gospel visible, uh, tangible, touchable. Uh, The catechism uses the word sensible signs, but that refers to signs that you can sense. You use your senses uh, that they uh, make the gospel or the covenant of grace uh, tangibly uh, in front of us and to confirm it uh, to us. The sacraments are nothing apart from the word. Think of the sacraments like a wax seal that, at least in older days, you might put on a document to to verify it, to sign it, as it were, that someone might put a signet ring and stamp it on there. Would that seal be worth much apart from a document to put it on? Would it signify much? Uh, no, but, but on the document, it's, you know, sealing, confirming uh, the document. Similarly, if you shake hands, um, it, it matters greatly what has been spoken in that context. Is, is this sealing a deal that has been spoken, um, or, or is it simple, simply a shaking of, of hands? Um, the signs and seals are 
uh, signs and seals of the covenant of grace, and they therefore uh, accompany the word um, simply as bare acts uh, of their own. They they would not have that same uh, significance. They um, accompany it, are added to it, that they gain their meaning from the word. Uh, they direct us to embrace and rest upon the promises of God. Uh, we should not rest upon the physical signs themselves, you know, trusting in the washing of water or trusting in the bread and wine, but rather to be built up by these signs and seals to trust Christ, uh, to trust the promises of God, and to act in accordance with uh, the Word of God. They're signs and seals of the covenant of grace. Uh, Romans 4.11 uses these terms, signs and seal, to refer to one of the outward signs of the covenant in the Old Testament, uh, circumcision. In fact, in Genesis 17, it goes so far as to say that this is the covenant, circumcision. Well, how is circumcision the covenant? Well, we're speaking sacramentally here uh, in Romans 411, it says it was a sign of uh, the righteousness. It uses sign and seal. Let me get the exact words here. 411. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So he, he received this righteousness by faith, and then he received the sign of circumcision, which was a seal of that righteousness which he possessed by faith. And so it was to signify this and to, to confirm it to him that he had an interest in this, that this was uh, his. Um, with regard to the Lord's Supper in the New Testament, for example, it says that this cup is the new covenant. You know, so how is this cup the new covenant, because it is a a sign and seal of the covenant uh, to us. Now, sacraments are immediately instituted by God. They are, after all, signs and seals of his promises, of his grace. Uh, We don't get to come up with it. They're not signs and seals of our devotion, um, though we should receive them with devotion and with faith and with resolve, but they are signifying uh, God's grace. So similar to his word, he gives us his word. He also gives us his sacraments. He appoints them. He institutes them. He says this is a sign of this. And so they are instituted by God. We find, of course, the New Testament sacraments um, instituted by Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and, and wine and uh, instituted the Lord's Supper, and then, you know, if you're reading Matthew, a couple chapters later in the Great Commission, um, also institutes baptism in the triune name for his disciples. Now, they are instituted, as the confession says here, instituted to, to do at least three things, depending on how you categorize them here. First, to represent Christ and his benefits and to confirm our interest in him. You could say maybe that's two, but uh, to be a sign and seal, essentially, to, con- to represent Christ and his benefits, to be a sign of these things, uh, to symbolize these things, of, of Christ 
and the benefits of Christ, the, the things which he has purchased for us by his death, uh, the, the washing, the cleansing, the, the forgiveness of sins, sanctification, um, to represent Christ and his benefits, and to confirm our interest in him. Um, it, it would be, you know, if Christ has all of this wealth of riches of grace, but you don't have interest in him, it does you no good. You know, you have to have a, a share in him to benefit from him. Is, is Christ yours? Are these things yours? Uh, and so the sacraments also confirm our interest in him, um, that, uh, that he is ours. Galatians 3.27 speaks of, you know, all those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That, that baptism is uh, referring to this putting on of Christ. Um, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Uh, Titus 3.5 speaks of the washing of regeneration. Now, whether it's saying that regeneration is a washing or that baptism is the washing of regeneration, in either case, you know, uh, physical washing with water is a sign, a symbol of this spiritual work of regeneration, which can also be spoken of as a, a spiritual cleansing or washing, renewal. Um, Matthew 26, 26 to 29, institution of the Lord's Supper. This is my body, this is my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. So it's Christ and his benefits. That this is a, that it represents it and confirms our interest in it, that we partake of these things. Now it's also to uh, put a visible difference between those who belong unto the church and the rest of the world. Uh, That there are those who are in the church, there are those in the world, that there is a visible difference that Christ makes, and he has instituted the sacraments to, uh, to, make a, to put a visible difference. Uh, think of in the Old Testament, how were those outside of the visible church referred to? They were the uncircumcised. You uncircumcised Philistine. Uh, they were the uncircumcision. They were without God and without hope, strangers to the covenants of promise. What would happen if someone wanted to partake of the Passover? Uh, He would first be circumcised, and all the males in his household too. No uncircumcised person was to partake in the Lord's Supper. Uh, They would first be visibly identified with the people of God by the sign of the covenant. In fact, if they did not receive the sign of the covenant, as uh, Genesis 17 says, they were to be to be taken out of the covenant people. Let me get the exact wording there. In Genesis 17, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. so, So circumcision was to be this visible sign of belonging to this visible church, this uh, the visible members of the covenant. Um, and it was to be applied to those who, who were members uh, by virtue of, of their profession of faith or being the children of those who made a profession of faith, but they were you know, recognized as such and were to recognize themselves as such you know, by the sign of the covenant. So it is to put a visible difference between them. And we would see similar language in the New Testament, that we are baptized by the Spirit into one body. 
uh, that were added to this number um, you know, visibly uh, by receiving uh, baptism. Now, thirdly, it was to solemnly engage them to the service of God in Christ according to his word. If you are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, you are a disciple of Christ who now is to learn to observe all his commandments. See that in the Great Commission. How do you make disciples? You know, you baptize them. And, and then teach them to observe these things. You, you have enrolled in this school, and so now ought to be making progress and learning to observe his commandments. This is your, your badge. It, it holds you accountable to now live as his disciples. Um, Romans 6, 3 through 4 speaks of the significance of baptism when Paul is correcting those who would think that, oh, now that we're saved, we, we can do what we want. And he says, don't you know the meaning of your baptism? He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, don't you know this was the significance of your baptism, that you died with Christ and therefore are, are to live in newness of life with Christ? So you should count yourself dead to sin and alive to righteousness, that uh, you are now bound to present your members to God as servants of righteousness. And so there is a, a vow in baptism to, to be the Lord's, uh, that's uh, that you will serve the Lord. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, and this is uh, part of the meaning of baptism as well. Those who partake of the table of the Lord ought not to partake of the table of devils, as, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, to, to renounce the world and the devil and to hold fast to Christ, your Lord. So to represent Christ and his benefits, confirm our interest in him, put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world, and to solemnly engage them to the service of God and Christ according to his word. Both baptism and the Lord's Supper having these meanings. Um, the shorter catechism gives a nice, simple definition summarizing the sacraments. It says, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ wherein by sensible signs Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. Now, I was looking at uh, the website of a local Baptist church and saying, how, well, how do they describe the sacraments? And it was interesting that they describe both baptism and the Lord's Supper as an act of obedience. Now, that's a little different picture than what we have here, right? Would you primarily identify baptism and the Lord's Supper as signs and seals of the covenant to you or as an act of your obedience you know, to God. Certainly we should do them in the same way that prayer could be an act of obedience or the preaching of the gospel would be an act of obedience, but that's not typically how we would describe what they are. You know, Their, their definition, their significance, um, they are primarily the gospel to us. Um, signs and seals of it to us from God rather than works that we do to God. As Calvin says, the sacraments have the same office as the word of God, to offer and set forth Christ to us 
and in him the treasures of heavenly grace. And of course, we, we should embrace these things by faith, you know, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, or as we reflect upon our baptism, to, to receive these things by faith, um, and with a resolve to follow God in accordance with the meaning of the sacrament. But they are, they are signs and seals to us more than they are acts of obedience that we do uh, for God. Any questions on the first article here on, on what is a sacrament? Um, let's go to the second article then. There is in every sacrament a spiritual relation or sacramental union between the sign and the thing signified, whence it comes to pass that the names and effects of the one are attributed to the other. So there is a sacramental union. There is a sign and a thing signified in every sacrament. Uh, That's kind of Augustine's classic definition of a sacrament, something like a visible sign of invisible grace. That, that there is the sign and there is the thing signified. Um, in fact, one of the heirs of Roman Catholic view of the Lord's Supper was that it, it turned the sign into the thing signified so that you no longer had two things, but just one thing. Uh, you no longer had a sign, just the thing signified. Um, but in every sacrament, there are these two things and a spiritual relation or sacramental union between them. It's not a physical union. Um, it's not a local union, it doesn't mean that, that they are in the same physical location or, or that one turns into the other, uh, but it is a spiritual union. Uh, it's a representative union, it's instrumental union. We could use other terms to describe how these things are connected, but they really are connected in some sense. Um, by, because of this union, Scripture can, can speak of the sign in terms of what it symbolizes, or, or what it symbolizes in terms of the sign. Um, but the, the way it can transfer those words is because there is some connection, a spiritual relation between the two. They're not bare and empty signs, something that the Reformers would like to say. We're not like the Anabaptists. We don't think that they're a bare and naked sign, that the only significance is kind of what we put to it, uh, but rather Christ really offers these things to us with, with these signs, Uh, that they are not bare and empty. Uh, What is symbolized is truly offered to be received by faith. Those who rightly receive the sacraments also receive what is symbolized. Um, And so I've used the analogy of the realtor who hands you the key to the house. You know, they're handing you the house. Uh, Is the house physically there? You know, no, but it is really being transferred to you. Now, maybe if you're a fraud and a cheat, and you're not receiving it, you know, the right way. You could say that, you know, that's going to be annulled. But you know, if you're rightly receiving it, it's really being transferred to you as you receive it in a worthy manner. So the sacramental union between the sign and things signified is the basis for the way Scripture attributes the names and effects of the one to the other. Like we said, circumcision is the covenant. Uh, language like that. Or even Christ is the Passover. That's the other way around. The thing signified being described as the sign. Um, This is my body. One of the more famous uh, terms. Or the washing of regeneration. If that refers to, to, to baptism, it's being spoken of as that way because of what it symbolizes. So we should not think that the signs become what they symbolize 
But it's a way of speaking that's common when you talk of symbols and ceremonies uh, that uh, you have this way of speaking because of a union between the things. That does kind of lead us naturally into the next paragraph, which is about the efficacy of the sacraments. The grace which is exhibited in or by the sacraments rightly used is not conferred by any power in them, neither doth the efficacy of a sacrament depend upon the piety or intention of him that doth administer it, but upon the work of the Spirit and the word of institution, which contains, together with the precept authorizing the use thereof, a promise of benefit to worthy receivers. So, there is grace that is exhibited in or by the sacraments rightly used, and the the older meaning of exhibited that's reflected in the confession of faith is maybe a little stronger than we would think of the term today. It's kind of used similarly with conferred and applied. It's held out to you, if you will, not simply represented. Um, But that grace that is held out to you, offered, delivered, in or by the sacraments, rightly used. That rightly used is kind of important. But it's not conferred by any power in the sacraments. Uh, it's not by the act itself, um, that, as, as the Roman Catholic Church would, would say. Um, it is conferred in the right use, but not by any power in the signs themselves. Nor does it depend upon the piety or intention of him that does administer it. Um, both Protestants and Roman Catholic would agree that it doesn't depend on the piety of the person who administers it. That was the uh, controversy back in the days of Augustine in the early church, where some, like, uh, some of those who wanted to be very strict would say, like, oh, those, those priests or those bishops who have, have apostatized or who compromised that the sacraments they administered weren't uh, legitimate, and so we should cut off all communion with them and kind of became a, an overly purist sect. And, and as they worked through Scripture, um, came to the conclusion that the sacraments do not depend on the piety of the person who administers them. Um, now, the Roman Catholic Church would, would say that it does depend on the intention of him, that if the priest doesn't intend to give this to you as a sacrament, then it's not a sacrament. Um, confession of faith here is stating that it doesn't depend upon either of those things. The impiety or wrong intention of the minister works the same way in the sacrament as it does in the word, the word of which it is, is a sign and a seal. If the gospel is proclaimed to you by someone who is actually a hypocrite and a scoundrel and who doesn't actually intend to, you know, preach the gospel to you, but does, is is it still the power of God to salvation? Is it, can it still be effectual? Yes, because it doesn't depend on the guy preaching it. Um, Paul says in Philippians 1, you know, there are those who preach out of, out of malice, um, that out of rivalry. They don't preach the gospel through the right motivations. But Paul was happy that the gospel was being proclaimed, nonetheless, by them. Certainly we shouldn't have hypocrites as those who are ministers of our churches, but that's beside the point. That's not the point here. If it depended on the piety or intention of the minister, it would undermine the sacrament. The sacraments are designed to give you assurance or to, to give you confidence in, in these promises, to make it tangible to you. But if it depended on something that you had no way of knowing, whether the, the man was a hypocrite or not, or whether he was truly intending this or not, 
then you would never know if you were actually baptized, if you were actually receiving the Lord's Supper. But no, what the main argument why it doesn't depend on the one ministering, or his piety or intention, I should say, uh, is because it depends on something else entirely. What does it depend on? It depends upon the work of the Spirit and the word of institution. The word and spirit. The minister might baptize with water, but it is Christ who baptizes by means of the Spirit. Uh, That is the Spirit that accomplishes what baptism, we might also say the Lord's Supper, symbolizes. Uh, The Spirit is the one who gives life. Uh, He does this work. We are baptized not only by water, but by the Spirit, as 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says. And it also depends on the word of institution, the promise of God. The words of institution, not all, both for baptism and the Lord's Supper, don't only refer to, the, they don't only authorize the sacrament, but they also have a promise to worthy receivers, a promise of benefit, that this is to them uh, Christ's body and blood, uh, that partaking rightly of these things, they receive Christ. And so it, re- it depends on the Spirit and the Word. Any questions on these past two articles? Does the Roman Catholic Church still teach that it does depend on the intention? That's my understanding. Is that that's still, but I haven't. I didn't look into it very deeply as far as what their current uh, teaching is. My guess is they might qualify it in in certain ways, but um, but I don't know for sure. Right. I mean, it's more specific. You know, you could have someone who is impious but does intend to treat this thing as a sacrament and giving it to you, you know, whereas someone who might even be godly might, you know, in that instance not be uh, giving it with right intention. So I guess it is a little different uh, of, a, of a thing. Yes? Yes, so at at the end there, with the word of institution, it's saying that the word of institution contains a precept authorizing the use thereof. In other words, it tells us that we should do this, that it it institutes this ordinance. Uh, But not only that, it also contains a promise of benefit to worthy receivers. So the words of institution both um, contain a precept or command, you know, authorizing the use of this sacrament, but also a promise of benefit to worthy receivers. All right, there's just two more articles here, which are both relatively simple. Uh, Number four, there be only two sacraments ordained by Christ our Lord in the gospel. That is to say, baptism and the supper of the Lord, neither of which may be dispensed by any, but by a minister of the word lawfully ordained. So there's only two in the, in the gospel, referring to the New Testament. Um, Christ instituted these two, baptism and the Lord's supper. Um, like I said, you can find that in Matthew 26, Matthew 28. 
well, what about confirmation and penance and anointing of the sick and marriage and holy orders? A Roman Catholic might say they are used to seven sacraments. Um, the Roman Catholic Church calls all those things that I just mentioned sacraments. But we would say they're not sacraments, um, first of all, because they're not tangible signs, uh, or they're not instituted by Christ, or they don't represent seal and apply Christ and the benefits of the new covenant to believers. You know, even if you purified them of Roman Catholic heirs about those things, some of them, like marriage, obviously is a thing. It is an ordinance of God, but it's not a physical sign representing uh, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant. Um, and it's a creation ordinance, which even unbelievers have. It doesn't put a visible difference between believers and unbelievers, the institution itself. So the only two that fit this definition are baptism and the Lord's Supper. There might be other ordinances, but these two are special in fitting this particular category of things, which we call a sacrament. And neither of the two sacraments may be dispensed by any, but by a minister of the word lawfully ordained. So that's contrary to the Roman Catholic and Lutheran teaching that in emergencies, anyone really, uh, or at least any Christian, can administer a baptism. Um, somewhat motivated by, the, at least in the Roman Catholic, understanding of the necessity of baptism. So if you have a child who's, who's dying, that yes, the midwife could step in and baptize the child. Um, partially because the reform didn't take that absolute necessity of baptism, didn't take that understanding, you don't have the same urgency there to make an exception. But it's also contrary to what many evangelicals today think, that yes, any Christian can baptize, because who is to say otherwise? You know, that sounds like a great idea. And um, some churches do that. But they should be administered by ministers of the word. The word and sacraments are administered together. Uh, they go together. We mentioned the, the, how the sacraments are appended to the word, are, are signs and seals of that word. So the minister of the word should administer the sacrament. The sacraments are signs and seals of the word, the word which the minister is sent to proclaim as an ambassador of Christ, uh, authoritatively. Uh, every, anyone can share the gospel. Everyone should share the gospel. But when the citizen of a country delivers a message, it's different than when the ambassador declares the message, even though they can be equally true and helpful. Um, that the minister has a, a job as a servant of Jesus Christ, as a steward of the mysteries of Christ, as an ambassador of Christ, as 1 Corinthians 4.1 and 2 Corinthians 5.4 says. And so these things are signs and seals of that word. We might also say the one administering them ministers in the name of Christ, doing what Jesus did at the supper. So it should be someone called to be a minister of Christ. We might also say that they're called ministers of the new covenant in 2 Corinthians 3.6. So a minister of the new covenant should administer the signs and seals of the covenant. And finally, the sacraments are badges of church membership. They're instruments of discipline, so they should be administered by the officers of the church. Um, as one theologian, Turretin, says, the office of teaching is either public and from authority or private from charity. The latter can be exercised by private persons, but not the former. Now, the sacraments, as seals of the king, are acts of authority which cannot be dispensed by private persons, not even out of charity. And so that's a different administration here. It goes more with the, the office of the minister and what he's appointed to do uh, in the church, administering these things. 
Lastly, there's continuity with the Old Testament sacraments. The sacraments of the Old Testament, in regard to the spiritual things thereby signified and exhibited, were, for substance, the same with those of the New. So it's not like in the Old Testament they just had signs of these things, but then in the New Testament the things themselves are offered to us. Um, But no, they're, they're both signs and seals in the Old Testament and New Testament, and what they signify is the same, even though the outward sign may be different. Uh, fitting the administration and the situation they had. And Paul makes that argument in 1 Corinthians 10, where his basic argument is, don't think that you can't fall, you visible members of the church, because, you know, you may be baptized, you may be taking the Lord's Supper, but, you know, the people of Israel, they were baptized, they were partaking of Christ as well, and they apostatized in the wilderness. You know, they, they were partaking of the sacraments in the same way as you are, and yet they uh, committed idolatry and were judged. So take heed lest ye fall. Um, And that argument would assume that there is continuity here between the the efficacy and the the substance of the sacraments of the Old and New Testament, and that there is that continuity, even though the signs themselves have been changed. All right. Next week, we're going to continue to talk about the sacraments. So if there's other questions, you know, we'll, we can continue to talk about these in the next couple of weeks. We'll look at baptism in, next Sunday. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word and for your sacraments. We pray that you would help us to use them rightly and to our benefit and to your glory, that we would rest upon your promises and to live as those who have been bought with a price, who are not ours anymore, but belong to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.